not know? Have you not heard? The Lord is an everlasting God, the creator of the ends of the earth. He will not grow tired or weary. His understanding no one can fathom. He gives strength to the weary. He increases the power of the weak. Even youths grow tired and weary, and young men stumble and fall. But those who hope in the Lord will renew their strength. They will soar on wings like eagles. They will run and not grow weary. They will walk and not be faint. That is from Isaiah chapter 40, starting at verse 28. We're going to be all up in Isaiah chapter 40 today. If you've got a Bible or if you've got a cell phone that can find one, I want to encourage you to open it up, find Isaiah chapter 40. It's in the Old Testament of the Bible, so this is way before Jesus even hits the scene uh, on earth. This is just the history of the nation of Israel and Isaiah, one of their greatest prophets, one of the biggest books in the Bible. So we're going to be in Isaiah chapter 40. We're going to just take a look at a couple of those things. And I, I want to start like this and say this. Guys, you made it. You made it. It's here. August 20th, 2023. You know what today is? The first day of the rest of your life. You made it. Give it up. Woo! You made it. Here's the thing. I don't think we celebrate that enough. Like when you get up in the morning, we're normally like, uh. <laughs> but what if instead we were like, sweet, new possibilities, new options, new grace, new mercy, new, you know, everything. The, the, the thing I want to celebrate for you today is that you made it, because here's the deal. I'm pretty sure, I don't want to go out on a limb here, but I think I, think I can. You've been through some garbage to get here, right? Some rough mess. I know some of you have fought through some major personal things, whether it was disease. Guys, can we give it up for those of us, and I know there's some of the audience, who have beat cancer, right? <laughs> you did it, right? You made it. You made it through that, but it was hard, wasn't it? You, you've lost loved ones. You've... Uh, you had 20 bucks, it was like really important to you, and then whew, it's gone. And like you're not so rich that you're not so rich that when you lose 20 bucks, it doesn't even matter. No, like you're like, I really needed that. Dang, where did it go? Like you've been through some things. You've been in some fender benders. You've had bad days at school, bad days at work, bad days in marriage, bad marriages. But you made it to today. Uh, generally, when we're doing teaching at church, we, we kind of are in kind of a chunk of teaching, like a series, and I like to get into a whole book of the Bible, or a whole topic, or a person from the Bible, just break that down and really dig in, what does God have for us today, but uh, we're between those, because it's church at the park, and I normally just kind of do a one-off thing here at the park, here's, here's what I want to do today, I want to just have a minute where we can all just reset, where we can look at like whatever you've been through, and look at the horizon, and instead of being scared of it, you can be encouraged, and you can be excited, and I think it begins with the stuff we just looked at in Isaiah chapter 40, because life is crazy. Life is insane. Or my favorite thing to say, I'm tired, <laughs> right? But what hope is there? So much. God is good. He loves you. You made it to today. Every week we take a look at the Bible and we just see uh, some of God's most important truths. And today I want to jump into Isaiah and see some truths that can hopefully give you the peace that you really need to move on to another new day. 
Uh, as we get in there, Isaiah chapter 40, let me just give you some background. Isaiah was a prophet. He was living in the nation of Israel. The prophets were basically kind of like pastors of the day. When we think prophecy, you might think Harry Potter or you might think some sort of wizardry and like, I'm foretelling the future. That's actually not the main job of most prophets. Most prophets spend most of their time just preaching. In fact, prophecy as a gift in the Bible is more the idea of foretelling the truth of God. Now, occasionally, and we see it all the time in scripture, some of those prophets from the Old Testament, the things they said would actually add on and, and, and come to pass in other ways, for example, in the coming of Jesus and the things in his life, and we're actually going to see one of those today. But Isaiah was not popular because he was constantly going around telling people, guys, look, God's mad, okay, because you're not honoring him. You're being jerks. You're being evil. You're being sinful. They'd actually gotten into some really bad idol worship. They were surrounded by a group of people called the Canaanites. They were actually being uh, oppressed by a group of people called the Assyrians, and the Assyrians are actually knocking on their front door. And as we add, uh, get to the section where Isaiah is writing in chapter 40, the Assyrians, who were the big kids on the block, they were the bullies, and they were doing like a scorched land like, like campaign through the Middle East. They either, you either bowed down to them and became a vassal nation to them and did whatever they said, or they burned everything that you had, and they killed you and put your head on a stick. Like, that's not even trying to be funny. That's just how terrible they were. And the gods that these people worship were, they were filthy. There was a god Baal and Asherah. There was one called Molech. And Molech was a god that required children to be sacrificed to appease him. These were the types of gods that the nation of Israel was worshiping. Now, if you know anything about the Bible, you might think the nation of Israel, well, they were God's people. They had it all together. Like a large percentage of the time, they didn't which is kind of cool because I can relate, but kind of not cool because God is a God who requires our attention and he wants us to live a certain way. When we land in Isaiah chapter 40, the king on the throne is a guy named Hezekiah. Hezekiah, I've made no secrets about this. He's my favorite Bible character outside of Jesus. I love Hezekiah. The dude was the man. He did some amazing public works project. He dug this tunnel for water into the city that's still there to this day, thousands of years later. He did some policy things with other nations that were incredible. But he, when he came to power... His dad was completely against God. In fact, Hezekiah, the only reason he was king, do you know why? Because his older brother had been sacrificed to Molech. So he was next in line. Like that's how broken and wicked the nation of Israel was at the time. Assyria is surrounding Jerusalem, the capital of Israel. They're literally out there with thousands and thousands of troops. And Hezekiah goes to God with a prayer. Now, I'm not actually actually telling this story today. It's a whole other thing. You can look it up, Google it. Hezekiah's story. Like find it. You can do that. You solve all of your own medical problems on your own through Google. You can find Hezekiah in the Bible. But let me tell you what happens. They're surrounded by this army, okay? Hezekiah goes to God in a prayer and says, we can't fight these people. They're holding us under siege. They're going to kill us all. And in the night, God just takes care of it. He makes the Assyrian soldiers believe that there's a huge army coming at them. God causes all kind of noises. He puts angels among them. And when they wake up in the morning... Most of them are just dead. The rest of them are like, peace, we are out. I don't know what's happening with the God of Israel, but we are not doing this, and they're gone. So all of that happens. Can you imagine the stress and the trauma? We get worried when the economy is a little rough, the gas price is a little high. Imagine you're in your house, you're surrounded by an army, and your only way out is with your head on a stick. Like this is what the, the people in Jerusalem are facing, and suddenly they're like, we're free. And then Isaiah writes chapter 40. We're going to pick it up at verse 1. Isaiah starts like this, comfort, comfort my people, says your God. Speak tenderly to Jerusalem and proclaim to her that her hard service has been completed, that her sin has been paid for, and that she has received 
from the Lord's hand double for all her sins. Remember I told you the bad state that Jerusalem was in. They weren't worshiping God. They weren't doing good things. Well, when Hezekiah hits the throne, one of the first things he does, he's like, we got to bring back the word of the Lord. We got to get our children learning this stuff. He goes to the temples and he just like kicks out all the false prophets and he takes people's idols, literally cuts them down. He goes all over the place and says, we are not doing this. We're serving the one true God. And in that process, he brings back the festivals, the things where they annually would worship God. The people were like, my great grandma used to talk about these festivals. How do we even do it? They had to unpack it and figure it out. But Hezekiah says, we are going to restore honoring God. And, and Isaiah says here in, in verse 1, he says, listen, your sins have been paid for. You're good with God. And what's his first words? Verse 1, comfort. Comfort. That, that old Hebrew word can kind of be translated uh, like to take a deep breath. <laughs> and I don't know if you've ever been driving and you see the blue lights in the rearview mirror. And you look down at your speedometer, you're like, oh, shoot, like, I was totally speeding, I'm busted, and your heart kind of does that little, <laughs> if it doesn't, you get pulled over too often, okay? You should at least have a little bit of like, oh, shoot, like, when you think you're getting pulled over. But then this amazing thing happens, the police car drives around you, and he pulls over the other guy, <laughs> and you're like, comfort, <laughs> right? So that's the feeling, and I think that's a feeling that we don't experience as often as we should. We kind of spend most of our life holding our breath. That's why anxiety is like all-time high and people are on medication and can't even, right? So can we just kind of do like, this is therapy. This is a group therapy. I believe in it, all right? So we're going to, I mean, this is like the biggest thing I could tell you today. You can take a deep breath. And if you've never tried it, let's do it right now. Ready? Let's do it together. Deep breath. Ready? In. And out. Even the cicada in this tree stopped making noise comfort. That's what it feels like. And so after all this trauma that the nation's been through, Isaiah says, listen, comfort. What I want to help us to do today is find that comfort. And I'm going to give you four things. I'm not normally like a multiple point preacher. Actually, I try to keep it at one as often as possible, but like Isaiah said a lot of stuff. So I got four. If you're a note taker, these would be good to jot down on your phone, scribble them in the uh, margin of your Bible. Or if you can just remember one, that's all you need. But as we look through these things, I see four things. The first one's going to be a little longer, so don't get worried. The last three are really fast. Uh, that we can take comfort in. Because when I look at the world, it's crazy. I'm tired. I don't know what to do. But then when I look at my God, I learn I can have peace in that. And the first thing that we learn about God in this passage is what I'm going to call God's holiness. We can take comfort because of God's holiness. Let's be honest. That's a super churchy word holiness. What does it mean? In, in bare bones, what it really means is just like to set something apart. Like every now and then, there'd be like a last piece of cake at my house, and somebody's like, don't eat that. That's mine. It has been set apart. In a very literal sense, that is now a holy piece of cake, <laughs> you know, set aside for Chris to eat later with a glass of cold milk. That is my holy cake. And so that's kind of what holiness means, to set something apart for a purpose. But on God's scale, it's like, it also means like otherly. And so it's the experience a lot of people come when they when they come to Riceville Beach for the first time and they see the ocean, maybe they're from like, I don't know, Ohio or Wyoming and they've just never been to the ocean. And if you've ever been to an ocean with a friend and they've never been there, it's an amazing experience because they're just like, it's so big. Maybe you take it for granted like I do. Maybe you instead have been to like the Grand Canyon <laughs> and you just look at it, you're just like, wow. And it's that feeling of otherness that the holiness of God evokes. There's nothing like it. 
Nothing can compare to it. Nothing can contain it or control it. It's just there. And our God is a holy God. And let me tell you, this should bring us comfort. Let me talk about the holiness of God by looking again at Isaiah 40. Starting at verse 4. We're going to read in 4 and 5. This might sound familiar to you if you know the Jesus story. It says, a voice of one calling. In the wilderness, prepare the way for the Lord. Make straight the desert a highway for our God. Every valley shall be raised up. Every mountain and hill made low. And the rough ground shall be become level. And the rugged places made plain. And the glory of the Lord will be revealed. And all the people will see it together. For the mouth of the Lord has spoken. The reason that this really draws my mind to God's holiness is because of the great lengths someone seems to be going to to welcome God. Uh, like make low the high places and raise up the low places and make plain the rough roads and, and make way, right? Make way. Make it smooth. We do this kind of stuff when special people come to visit. Like if grandma ever comes to visit and your mom was like, we have to vacuum every nook and cranny of the house because grandma just likes clean corners, I guess. I don't know. We go overboard because when someone's special to us, we take extra steps. And here's the deal about God's holiness. If you hope to experience the goodness of God, if you wish to encounter the faithfulness of God, if you want to be involved in the presence of God, let me tell you something. You have got to to great lengths to make way for him. Make level the high places. That's actually kind of a double meaning there because the high places at this time when Hezekiah is king and Isaiah is writing, the high places were the places where the, 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 false, the, the, the idol worshipers and the prophets of these pagan demonic spirits, they would go to the high places and they would set up these altars for the demonic gods in these high places. And so literally one thing Hezekiah did to make way for God was he went, this is a little PG-13, but there were a couple of God and goddesses that were like, fertility god and goddess and, and their, their idol was like these big like a tree so you can use your imagination and one of the things that they do is they cut these poles down that's graphic and it's great lengths to make way for the god of israel let me ask you a question to what lengths do you go to make room for the holiness of god in your life i mean coming to church on sunday is like Barely even something. You're already off work, most of you. We don't even have church till 10, 10.30, right? So it's like not even hard. We kind of have a cool and relaxed environment. You don't even have to like put on a tie. Okay, so like I'm not downplaying the fact that you're here today. This is amazing. But like making way for God is like switching up my calendar. It's like stop listening to and watching certain things that are poisoning my mind. It's treat people differently. It's handle your business differently your finances your parenting your spousing and this is the chopping down of the high places and the raising up of the low places it's making way and 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 why should it bring you comfort because chaos happens when god is not involved but when we make way for our god his holiness comes in and he makes the way so much better for us the holiness of god that's something we should find comfort in i told you we'd spend the most time in that the rest of us going to go pretty quick As we continue looking on, the second thing I see in Isaiah's passage is the superiority of God. I think that's a little bit different than the holiness because I think when we look at our world, one thing that we're always looking to do is someone to follow. I mean, from the time you're like a kindergartner on the park and you're like, hey, Jimmy's jumping off the slide. I'm going to jump off the slide. And your mom's like, if Jimmy jumps off a building, are you going to jump off a building? You're like, probably. Jimmy's cool. Right? So we are always looking for someone to follow, someone to emulate. 
And we look for it at everywhere. NFL is on, guys. We've got fake football on TV right now, preseason. And I cannot wait for fantasy football to get rolling. But let's be honest, we idolize it. We spend a lot of time studying the statistics and all these things, but, like, never open our Bibles or encounter the holiness of God. And so, like, what is superior in your life? What rules your schedule? What rules your life? One thing that Hezekiah and Isaiah are going to agree on is the superiority of God. I'm going to summarize a thing that is in chapter 40 here. But Isaiah says this. He basically says, people are like grass, and their faithfulness is like flowers. And God's superiority is such that he can just blow our flowers away like dandelions in the wind. You, you see that image? And if you've ever grown a garden, and you're so proud of your little tomatoes, and you work so hard, and then to think like a freeze would be superior to that, right? Or a deer or a raccoon coming in there or like a seven-year-old with a shovel. Like as tender and as volatile as that garden is, you've got to protect it. And like the idea is that like, guys, we think so highly of ourselves, but compared to the superiority of God, we're just like flowers that could be blown away by his breath. Like the imagery is huge. And like on the one hand, it's like, oh, that's not very encouraging at all. No, no. No, we're going to find out shortly that the deal with God is that he's not trying to blow us down all the time. In fact, what he wants to do is fertilize our soil and help us produce the most fruit. And so as Isaiah is looking into the life of the Israelites and Hezekiah's life, he's like, listen, comfort my people. Comfort because your God is holy and your God is superior. You don't have to be scared of the Assyrians or the Egyptians, later the Babylonians. You don't have to be scared of any of them. And over and over and over, God's going to deliver his people as long as they continue to trust him. Let's listen to a few more of his words in verse 12. Isaiah says, Who has measured the waters in the hollow of his hand? Or with the breadth of his hand marked out the heavens? Who has held the dust of the earth in a basket? Or weighed the mountains on a scale and the hills in a balance? And God has no needs for baskets or, you know, hand breadth. Like, this is just imagery. But it's just like, this is the superiority of God. When you look at all of creation... How cool is the Grand Canyon and the ocean and all that? Verse 13, who can fathom the spirit of the Lord or instruct the Lord as his counselor? We're often very guilty of that. Like, God, you know what I think you should do? If you do this, I will do that. And God's like, look, I didn't really ask for your input here, okay? I'm superior God. Instead, how can we step back and be like, Lord, how can I serve within your will? Keep going, verse 14. Whom did the Lord consult to enlighten him? Uh, nobody. And who taught him the right way? Who was it that taught him knowledge or showed him the path of understanding? Surely the nations are like a drop in a bucket. They are regarded as dust on the scales. He weighs the islands as if they were fine dust. And the superiority of God is such that no matter how big the United States is, no matter how big Russia or China or the, you know, the whole unions of European countries or NATO... All, drop in a bucket. And God demonstrates that power over and over and over and over through history. So finding comfort in him is going, I don't have to be superior. I don't have to be in charge. I just have to be faithful. He's holy. He's superior. And naturally, as inferior creation, you know what our response to superior God should be? This is the third thing that I think should bring us a lot of comfort. That our God is worthy of worship. He's worthy of worship. Like, I don't know what you think your purpose in this world is, and, and uh, far be it for me to say that if I don't have permission to say that in your life. But I think a lot of you, we've been through a lot together. Okay, so this is my opinion of what I believe God has given us as a purpose. 
I think when he created us, he created us with the purpose of bringing him glory. That's why we were created. I mean, God created all the things, these trees, these cicadas, the planets in outer space. He created it all. But we're the one being that's cognizant enough to say, I want to choose whether or not I live my life for God. Every other creature goes on their instinct. They do exactly what they were programmed to do. But for humanity, he says, and this is what scripture calls us, he says, you are my special possession. He says, I want you to choose me. Do whatever you want, man. Do whatever you want with your life. But here's what I want you to do. I want you to choose to bring me worship. And so we spend our entire life assigning value to things. From, you know, from the first little pacifier that your baby is their favorite thing and they can't sleep without it until you're super old and whatever it is, you've, last thing you forget. <laughs> like we're always assigning value to things. This matters, this matters, this matters. And God just says, listen, I want to lay it all out before you. And I want to prove to you by my works that I am the most worthy. Therefore, everything that we do, like the job that you have, maybe even if you hate it, you can do it for the glory of God. Flipping burgers at McDonald's, this one's for the Lord. I'm going to bring a smile to somebody's face. You run a huge corporation, maybe you have the opportunity to be super generous through your corporation to do things for God. Everything we do within our parenting, within our spousing, just being here at the park and choosing to say, wow, praise God. In the good times and the bad. Because he's worthy of that. He's earned it. So he's holy, he's superior, and he's worthy of our worship. The last one you got to kind of dig a little bit more for, and I think that it's, uh, I think that it, you kind of can miss it really easy. It's in chapter 11, because sometimes when we paint a picture of God, he's like this big colossal, I mean, some people even view God as like a monster, you know. He's just always here to stomp on me, cut me down, he's a stick in the mud, like God's always on me about something. But actually, that's not how he presents himself. Yes, he's sovereign. Yes, he's powerful. Yes, he's mighty. But also, I want you to look back at verse 11. I skipped it on purpose. And in verse 11, I could see us reading all of chapter 40, reading verse 11, and not even noticing what it says. Listen to what it says. It says, he gathers the lambs in his arms, and he carries them close to his heart, and he gently leads those that have young. It's easy to miss, but the thing that I love about God, and this is the thing that I hope can bring you the most comfort, is that God is a God of love. Specifically in this instance, the type of love he shows is a love that I want to call gentleness. Uh, gentleness is an interesting attribute because like, do you know the only people who are able to be gentle are strong people? Think about this. Uh, weak people have no need to be gentle because they're not strong enough to hurt anything anyway. You don't have to tell like a tiny little infant, like, be gentle when you hug daddy. No, they don't have the strength to hurt him. So it's going to be fine. But daddy has to be gentle with baby because daddy has strength. Gentleness is power under control. And our God is a God of power, of might, superiority, but he's got absolute control. And he funnels it and he harnesses it through his love. Look at that image. This God who's putting nations in buckets and weighing islands on scales is like, but I will bend down and I will take a little lamb and I will hold it to my chest and I will make sure that it's safe. It's another metaphor. Those are his people. And that's us. That's you. That's me. Comfort, comfort my people. You have a God of holiness, a God of superiority. There he's wor therefore, he's worthy of our worship. But most relatably to us, he's gentle in his love. Last week, I think it was Monday, 
uh, my family went for a walk at Wrightsville Beach, and uh, I experienced something that I've never experienced here before. Uh, so we, we go down to the L-shaped lot. A little pro tip, if you are sick of the piers and you can't find parking, just drive a little further, and there might be some space. It was a Sunset has just been happening, okay? So it's like the sun is just waning in the distance, and we walk out on the beach, and we turn left. We go north up the beach, and we just start walking towards, like, Figure 8 Island, and we're just walking and walking and having fun, and, you know, I'm trying to push Savannah into the water and, like, all kind of stuff. We're just having a good time, and we walk for a really long time, right? It's just a good time, and, and, and as a parent, you'll get that. I have a, a my, my son turned 17 in just a few weeks. My daughter's uh, 14, uh, and and so for the last 14 years, there's been like a constant um, cat fight going on somewhere in my house. But occasionally there's these breaks. And so this is one of those breaks. And so everyone's happy and we're walking and we're talking. And we walk for a long time. I don't even know. The sun now has gone down. I need to tell you also, if you walk on the beach and you don't need a flashlight, okay? Please don't carry a flashlight. You ruin it for the rest of us, okay? But anyway, no one had flashlights, okay? So we can actually see. Our eyes are adjusting. The moon was beautiful. And we can see, and we're like trying to find these little crabs and stuff. And we're like, okay, time to go back. This is where it happened, okay? We're walking along. Ocean is now to my left. And my daughter, Savannah, goes, what's that? And she runs over, and she squats down. And on the ground, it looks like a, a, like a, like a, a lightning bug that had just kind of like fallen in the sand. But like water's washing over. Like, is that a lightning bug? So we're going to scoop it up. Do you know the phrase bioluminescence? Okay, bioluminescence, you can ask Brian later. He played drums. He'll tell you for an hour and a half, he could tell you what it is. But I'm going to tell you the short version is that bioluminescence is like itty-bitty microscopic things. Is it phytoplankton, Brian? Is that right? Or some kind of plankton. I don't know. And, and I don't know what happens. I don't know what happens. It absorbs like energy from the sun, I think. And, but, and it just holds it in there. And like in other places, it's very prominent, but I just, I've lived in North Carolina and walked on beaches my entire life, and I've never seen one. My son saw it for the first time a few weeks ago. He was camping out on Masonboro Island. He said they were swimming in the water late at night, like one o'clock in the morning, and the, the water was glowing. But what, and I'd never seen it. And what happens is it's like someone cracked open a glow stick in nature, except it's not going to poison you and you're not going to die. It's just beautiful. And so we saw this little speck and we're like, what? Is that what that is? Is it bioluminescent? So we scoop it up. We're like, wow. And then it starts to fade away. We're like, oh, well, that was over. So we turn around and there's another one. We're like what? So, so slowly we start like just following this little trail, like Hansel and Gretel. And we're just, and call my wife and my son back. We're like, whoa. And I don't know what, which one of us did it first, but one of us just like decides to stomp on the ground, just stomp. And it's like an LED panel was under my foot and just thousands of points of light. <laughs> busted up around my foot. It was incredible. I was like, and then everyone was like, instantly, I'm like, whoa, we start stomping around, and we're, I just wish there was a video, and we're just stomping around on the beach, and we're just chasing bioluminescence everywhere, and it's beautiful, and it's amazing, and, and, then we, and, and that's how we walked back to the car. We, we walked back for, like, I don't know, three quarters of a mile, just stomping the whole way. It might still be out there. I don't know. You should go tonight. You should find it. It was amazing. Why the world tell the story? I got back in the car, and I had so much joy, and so much peace, and I realized that all I had done was walk amongst God's creation. It's all I had done. I breathed in his air. I stomped around on his beach. I saw his little glowy microscopic beings. And the word that kept going through my head was the phrase we use as we close every single service at our church, which is what? That we need to shine light in dark places. Now, I don't want to give these little creatures too much credit. I don't think they made the spiritual decision to glow at night. But, but I think... The idea that these little creatures that were just designed to do a thing, they just do it. And it happens to be light in dark places. And that we as, as his people can be recharged by his comfort. And then go out into the world and shine that when people need it. Even if people are stomping on us. 
We have a God who's holy. We have a God who's superior, and he's worthy of our worship. Are you making room for him in your life? He's made room for you. He's a God of love and gentleness, and he showed us that through coming to the earth in the form of Jesus. John 3, 16. God so loved the world that he gave his only son. Translation through all kinds of theology and stuff. He gave his only son. He came in human flesh that anyone who believes in him will not experience eternal separation from him because of our sin, but be delivered, just like the Israelites from the Assyrians, to have eternal life with him. Do you not know? Have you not heard? The Lord is an everlasting God, the creator of the ends of the earth. He will not grow tired or weary. His understandings no one can fathom. I just want to invite anybody this morning who just wants to take a step with God to be bold and do it. He's, he's all around. We just have to have the courage and the focus to see that and walk in it. Let's pray. Father God, I thank you for this time we've shared. I thank you for your word. I thank you for the ability to uh, go back in history and look at what must have been a terrible time for the Israelites and live through it a little bit. Um, as we go through our own battles and we are surrounded by our own enemies, I pray that we can have the faith of someone like Hezekiah who will lay down our prayers before you in the temple and will just cry out to you and beg you. And I know the story of the Israelites is that sometimes you let them sit in their mess. Help us understand that sometimes we, we get to sit in our mess, and whether we caused it or somebody else did. But at the end, you are still a God of love, a God of mercy, a God of grace. I pray that we, this church family, Venture Church, can be a people who can be known for that love, uh, that we're not known for anything else. I mean, but that's what we're known for, just being legit about who you are, being transparent with our own brokenness, and coming to you um, looking for that light. If there's anybody here today that just needs to grow in that, I pray that we can have the space for that as we kind of spend some more time together. And uh, Lord, it's been hot for weeks and it's warm, but I thank you for this little bit of reprise. It's not terrible. Thank you for this breeze. May we see you in it and give you the glory. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.